Hey friend, are you searching for a podcast that partners faith and entrepreneurship? A toolkit of tactical how-tos to start or grow your online business God's way? Hop over and check out The Stephanie Gass Show, a top 0.5% podcast for women who are ready to create impact and income without sacrificing family or their faith. Listen in to over 500 episodes on biblical business training, clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie Gass Show. I pray it blesses you. Good morning, my friend. It is a windy, stormy day. The wind woke us up a million times last night here on the river. It's a Saturday. We're going to take a little Sabbath today. We worked really hard last week. I'm sure you did too. We're going to take a little break today, probably do a little work in the shop, but we're not going to do a whole lot around here, Lord willing. And I hope you have an opportunity to relax and refresh and recharge a little bit like we talked about yesterday. I'm going to bring you an old episode today. It's about the difference between those moments in your life when you're performing at your typical normal type of performance and whatever you do. And there's other moments that come along where something happens and you just knock it out of the park. You just have a home run moment or something that you do a lot and all of a sudden this particular time you just nailed it. There are moments when you don't even really understand why you were capable of such a great performance that day. So we need sometimes to do a little self-brain surgery as Willie Nelson said. And here's how he said it. After taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. We're going to learn how to take those readings, like Willie said. Take, take those readings and look at your brain and look at your performance and figure out how to assess the, the moments where you did something especially well and figure out how to make that more common and you'll start hitting more home runs in your life because you're capable of greatness. When you, have, when you have a moment with a golf shot, for example, you're playing golf, and all of a sudden everything clicks and you hit the ball as well as Tiger Woods could have hit it in that moment. That sounds like an extreme thing, but if you hit the ball and it goes in the hole, nobody else could have done it better than that, right? So how do we move from typical to exceptional when we're capable of more all the time? We're going to learn how to take those readings Play this old episode, it's a great episode, and mixed in some Tommy Walker music at the end about waiting on the Lord, because that's really the secret. Everything in life is learn how to wait till Jesus tells you it's time to go, and then get after it. And we're going to do all that, my friend, on this Sabbath day of some rest, hopefully for you, starting today. Good morning, my friend. It is 5 a.m. Well, I had a really fascinating experience in the operating room this past week, and it kind of made me think about this whole episode and what I want to talk about today, which is how to close the gap between what you're capable of and where you typically perform. That's an interesting concept, this capability gap, if you will. Uh, and I'm going to tell you some stories today, and we're going to talk through some of the things about that. I've got a story about golf, about my brother-in-law, something that happened to me when I was 14 years old. And uh, we're going to talk about all those things and about how you might just be the best in the world at whatever you do in a particular moment, or at least about how in any given moment you are capable of far greater things than you might imagine. But the question is, what makes those moments of greatness happen, and how can we tap into the obvious potential that we have so that we can have more of those moments of greatness? We're going to talk about what we're capable of, my friend, and we're going to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. 
you have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery. To get it done, you can get the show notes and more at drleewarren.podbean.com. That's drleewarren.podbean.com, and if you like the show... Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right, I'm going to tell you a story about golf. I am not a good golfer. I play once or twice a year. I've never been a really good golfer, and anybody who's played with me knows that. I've had moments, and one of those moments was when I was about 14, That was probably the second or third time I ever played golf in my life. And my brother-in-law, Mark, who's really more of a real brother to me, um, would take me golfing from time to time. And he was a great golfer. His dad golfed with him since he was a little kid. And Mark is a tremendous golfer, natural-born golfer. But I was terrible. And I was playing in jeans, and I was just this you know toe-headed little kid tagging along with my brother-in-law, who was kind of my hero at the time. And I hit um, a really, really bad tee shot on this par four hole. And it went maybe 100 yards off in the weeds, I'm sure. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a beautiful day. The sky was blue. And Mark said, boy, now you've got your work cut out for you because you've got a very long shot to the green. And he handed me a two iron. Now, if you're not a golfer, a two iron, at least in the old days when the clubs were a little bit less well engineered than they are now um two iron is pretty hard club to hit and so i'm a little kid and i'm certainly not a very good golfer and mark hands me this two iron and i step up to the ball and it's probably i don't know 220 yards or so from the green and i swing the club and the ball goes into the air and it was just this beautiful high slight draw perfect golf shot landed maybe 10 or 15 yards from the green and took two or three hops and rolled right into the hole. I made an eagle. It's the only one I've ever made in my whole life to this day. I'm 51 years old, and when I was 14, I made that eagle. And I stood there, and I couldn't believe the ball went in the hole. Mark and I were jumping up and down. And when we got up there and I pulled the ball out of the hole, Mark said, you know what, Lee? There's nobody on planet Earth, not Arnold Palmer, not Jack Nicklaus, not Lee Trevino, Nobody could have hit that shot better than you did. And I thought about that for a minute, and I realized that was right. I mean, nobody could have swung the club and had the ball go in the hole. Those those are the two things that were accomplished in that moment. And nobody could have done it better because the objective was to get the ball in the hole. And so that particular golf shot on that particular day was executed by a weird 14-year-old kid in Oklahoma as well as anybody in the whole world could have done it. And that stuck with me. I obviously didn't go on to become a professional golfer or anything like that, but that moment stuck with me because it occurred to me that my muscles and my ligaments and my bones were capable of doing something great, but I always wondered why I couldn't do that routinely. 
So, of course, on the next hole, I hit the ball in the lake, right? That's what happens. I, I wasn't capable of achieving that greatness on a consistent basis, but I could do it. It was within my potential to do it. Now, let me tell you a story about the operating room. Hi, I'm Tommy Walker, and I've been a worship leader and songwriter for over 30 years. By God's amazing grace, he's allowed me to write some worship songs that have been sung in churches all over the world. In 2015, I started my own nonprofit called Tommy Walker Ministries so I could start giving away all my songs and music and worship resources. Since then, we've had people from over 80 nations download our charts and performance tracks, and we've given away over 100,000 of them now, and we're so blessed and honored to do it. We have a passion to declare the gospel through worship in a powerful way, so we're so careful to fill up our songs and our videos with God's Word. And if you're interested in becoming a partner with us, just visit TommyWalkerMinistries.org and become a one-time or monthly partner. We'd be so grateful. And let me just say God's richest blessings on you all. If you aren't already, become a passionate worshiper of the Most High God. Amen. Not long ago, we were in the OR and performing a procedure called a corpectomy, which is where you have a vertebrae that needs to be removed. And for lots of different reasons, you can have to do that procedure. But I'm doing a corpectomy and trying to get this large bone spur off of this person's spinal cord. It's causing a lot of pressure. And the spinal cord is really pinched, and I can see it. And the electrical activity of the cord that we're monitoring is diminished. And the person's in, in danger of being paralyzed by this bone spur. And it's kind of a, a technical, we don't talk a lot on the podcast about the technical aspects of neurosurgery because that's really not what this podcast is about, but it's a pretty technical maneuver where I have to use a really sharp instrument to separate the tissue between the spinal cord, which is super delicate, of course, and the hard bone of the bone spur. And so we basically take this little tiny sharp knife that's dull on one side so you can slide it across the spinal cord without cutting the cord but still cut that band of tissue that's holding the bone spur down to the spinal cord and so i'll make that incision i get across don't have spinal fluid leak everything's coming out right and then the next move is the hard one where you take a curette and you kind of stick it under the bone spur and try not to push down on the spinal cord and you pull this bone spur out from behind the, the body of the vertebrae and most of the time, it doesn't come out in one easy piece. Most of the time, you have to take dozens of bites with little rongeurs and little instruments that will bite the bone away carefully. But on this particular day, in that particular patient, the bone spur just flipped out from under the vertebrae all at once in one big glorious piece, and the whole spinal cord came up and relaxed. You could see it settle down. The technician that was monitoring this cord electrical activity told me, hey, the wave just got a lot better. And I knew in that moment that that patient's problem was fixed. In one like beautiful, perfect move, my hands moved that spur and it got out from behind the vertebrae and everything was right. And I knew, and I said it to my team, nobody on planet Earth, no neurosurgeon in the world, not Takanori Fukushima, not Harvey Cushing, not Joe Maroon. Hey, Joe, if you're listening. Nobody could have done that particular move any better than y'all just saw it done right then. And that sounded like arrogance for a second. My team said, wow, pretty full of yourself, right? But it's not arrogance. You need to be willing and able to see with clear eyes when you do something great. That's not saying I was great. It's saying that that particular thing that happened was a great thing. And nobody could have done it better because the goal of that move was to get that spur out. And it came out with no trouble, 
no complication, and no excess effort. And so that was as good as it could have been done by anybody. So then my question to myself, and I talked to my team about this, what separates those great moments, those lucky shots, those opportunity, those, those times when something amazing happens, what separates those with the same hands and the same muscles and the same eyes and the same training, what separates those amazing shots, those amazing moves, those excellent maneuvers in the operating room from the typical ones, from the predictable ones? Let me tell you another story about my brother-in-law, Mark. When he played golf one time at a golf club called Doral, which is where they were playing PGA tournaments at the time, maybe still, I don't know. And he said he was on the driving range, and he encountered the club pro, the guy who works there, who is the professional who teaches golf lessons and all that. And the club pro was hitting balls next to my brother-in-law. And so Mark was watching this guy, this professional golfer, hit shot after shot after shot with a seven iron. And my brother-in-law said, hey, how, how far do you hit your 7-iron? Just, you know, I'm curious, how far do you hit your 7-iron? And the guy said something like, uh, well, I hit it 152, 157, and he meant yards. And my brother-in-law said, wow, that's amazing. You've got it, you've got it dialed into a 5-yard range. Like, you know within 5 yards how far that ball's going to go. And, and he shook his head, and he said, no, no, I either hit it 152 or 157, depending on what I need for that shot. And my brother-in-law was amazed. Like, this guy could choose how far he intended to hit that golf ball. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens by thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. There's other ways that it happens that we're going to get into in a little bit. Brendan Burchard, Brendan Burchard wrote a book that I love called High Performance Habits. And in that book, he quotes Aristotle, who said this, Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we have acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. There's scripture about this. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things. And then no, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's talking to God. You can do all things. But then Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So there's, a, there's an ability from God to achieve things more than you think you can do. Mark 9, 23, there's this, this uh, conversation that Jesus has with this guy who comes to him and says, can you help me? And Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you believe and you try, God will give you the ability to do great things. You have to seek them. First Peter 4 says, each of us has received a gift and we're supposed to use it to serve one another. God has given you, friend, gifts and talents that nobody else has, particular things about you that God has given you, and he expects you to use them. Remember the story of the talents when, when the Lord gives one person five bags of gold and another person two bags of gold and another person one bag of gold and he says, go and keep these until I come back. And he judges them based on how they handled those blessings, those gifts, those talents, how they dealt with and stewarded the things that they were given. Ephesians 3, uh, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, infinitely more than we ask or think. God can give you, friend, more than you can imagine if you are willing to try to develop those gifts and talents. And one question you might ask is, why do we need to try harder? Why can't we just, uh, you know, be who we are? 
And if you're asking that, this might not be the episode for you. If you're satisfied with how you are, if you don't think you need to improve, if you're not uh, feeling this burden of, of making things better in your life, then maybe come back next time. But today I'm talking about the gap between what we typically produce and what we know we're capable of. Those moments, those hints and clues in our lives that we have more in us to give. I want to know how to close the gap between my moments of greatness and my average daily performance because I want more for my life. I want to reflect more of God's grace and gifts to me to me, and through me for other people's benefit. Brendan Burchard also said this as he studied high performers. This book, High Performance Habits, by the way, is, is worth reading. He studies all these people who are amazing high performers in different fields, and he tried to learn things that were consistent among them so that he could then teach other people how to perform better. And Burchard kind of summed it up as this. High performers are adaptive servant leaders. What separates my work on high performance from the hype around world-class experts is that I'm not seeking out lone experts or individual outliers. High performers don't think, live, or practice in a vacuum. They're influencing people and adding tremendous value to those around them, not just trying to win spelling bees or chess matches. They tend to be leaders who can adapt to challenging circumstances and guide others to their own successes and contributions. In this capacity, high performers can go from project to project and succeed over and over. It's as if you could put them in any context, any team, any company, any industry, and they would win. Not because they're geniuses or lone wolves, but because they positively influence others to rise. They don't just develop skill, they develop people. That's what I want. I want us to become servant leaders. I want us to become people who can develop and help other people to be high performers wherever we find ourselves placed in life by God to add value to those around us. That's what I want. I want to perform to the top of my abilities, to maximize every gift that God gave me to be the best I can be. Do I get there every day? No, of course I don't. You don't either. But I want to keep trying. And how about you? And don't get me wrong. I'm not talking just to the recording stars out there. I've got friends like Tommy Walker and Michael Peterson who have achieved fame with music. I'm not just talking to fighter pilots, Brian Garrity and Trevor Aldridge and Marty Dahlum who might be listening to this. I'm not just talking to world-famous brain surgeons like Joe Maroon who's probably hearing this or billionaires. You know who you are. I'm not just talking to the captains of industry, the financial geniuses, the famous attorneys and best-selling authors who are listening to this. I'm also talking to people who excel in high-profile and low-profile jobs. There's people who are listening to this who are called to more normal things, doctors and plumbers and pipe fitters and engineers and people who work at Walmart and people who are elementary school teachers and preschool teachers and babysitters. There's a lot of different people who listen to this and all of us are called to be where we are by God at the moment and at the time that we are there. And we're supposed to produce something with our time and the work of our hands. And if you're breathing... You may not recognize it because you may think that you're too old or that your time has passed or that your best tasks are behind you. But if you're still breathing, God still has a plan for you, my friend. He has a purpose for you. If you're a Walmart greeter or a crossing guard, we've all seen examples of people who can change your life and set a a path for a day to be better by watching somebody else smile and be good at what they do. 
I'm talking to teachers and plumbers and, like I said, chaplains and hospital coffee shop workers who all of us have seen just make your whole day because they're excellent at what they do and they have a smile on their face and they inspire you by how they are taking their job seriously and trying to be better at it. So whatever you're called to do, wherever you're called to work, here's the question I have for you. How do you make those amazing shots, those great moments, those times when you're performing at the top of your ability, how do we maximize those and normalize that type of success in our lives and in our activities? How do we do that? How do we achieve more and close that capability gap? There's one more quote from Brendan Burchard. When you knock on the door of opportunity, don't be surprised that it is work who answers. Hey friend, are you searching for a podcast that partners faith and entrepreneurship? A toolkit of tactical how-tos to start or grow your online business God's way? Hop over and check out The Stephanie Gash Show, a top 0.5% podcast for women who are ready to create impact and income without sacrificing family or their faith. Listen in to over 500 episodes on biblical business training, clarity on your niche, podcasting, monetizing, and so much more. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-G-A-S-S, The Stephanie Gass Show. I pray it blesses you. When you knock on the door of opportunity, don't be surprised that it is work who answers. Here's my summation. When I look at the moments when I've done great things, there are not that many of them, but you've had some too, but the times that I've been able to analyze the really great moments I've had, here's the answer. It comes from reps. That golf pro at Doral and Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and those guys that hit those shots over and over and over again that I hit one time, luckily, when I was 14. The Vinny Garacios out there who can hit that shot every time, it's because of reps. Those guys spend tens of thousands of hours on the on the driving range. They hit the seven iron over and over and over, and they don't just keep hitting it when they hit a bad shot. They take videotapes. They have coaches. They have people watching their swing and breaking it down. And they work for hours on changing little subtle things about their grip because their goal is to almost perfect and make reproducible and predictable what's going to happen when they swing that golf club. It's reps. So whatever you do, the more you do it, and you don't do it mindlessly, but you do it with the mind of perfecting it, that's how you get better. That's why they call medical professionals practitioners. We are practicing what we do to try to get better. It comes through analysis. It comes through honest self-assessment of your results. And this is important because in this day and age, we've kind of gotten away from the idea that we need to be mentored, that we need to be accountable to somebody. Remember the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. You need to be willing to to have somebody who can call you out when you're not performing. You need to have somebody who you trust enough and love enough, who loves you enough to coach you up when you need to be coached up. I've got Lisa and I've got Dennis and my dad and my mom and other people in my life who will call me out when I'm underperforming. Who will say, hey, you know what? You, you can do better than that. Lee, you can do better. You need to value grace and self-forgiveness, but you also need to value excellence. Remember I told you about Dennis Walgo, and I mentioned that he reminds me of Apollos, the the guy who uh, was mighty in the scripture, right? But check this out in Acts 18, 24. 
Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Another version says he was mighty in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So here's a guy who was excellent. I mean, the Bible says he was mighty in the scriptures, but he could be better. And Priscilla and Aquila loved him enough, and when they heard him, they, were, they took him under their wings, and they taught him a more adequate way. And the important part of that, stu- that story is, Apollos was great, but he wasn't great enough. And somebody saw more potential in him, and they offered help to him, but he was willing to accept it. So he said, you know what? I would like to be more excellent. Maybe I'm already mighty in the scriptures. I want to be mightier. Maybe I'm already excellent. I want to be more excellent. Maybe I'm already really good at what I do, but I've got room to grow. So this story has two parts, right? It's got the person who was willing to sharpen another person and the person who was willing to be sharpened. That's mentoring, by the way, willingness to improve and being willing to help somebody else improve. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, earnestly desire better gifts, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're into, whatever you're called to or hobby that you have or profession that you practice or something that you're doing, if you're spending your time doing it, there's always a more excellent way. There's always a way to be sharpened, a way to be better. You have to open your horizons to it. You have to open your eyes to the fact that there is improvement and there's more that you're capable of. So don't limit yourself. Live this life of constantly trying to push through to something greater, to never be satisfied. Learn from your, learn from your mistakes. You know, when Tiger Woods hits a ball off into the, into the forest or out into the lake, he doesn't throw his club down and give up and go home. He watches the tape. He looks at the problem, he goes back to the range and changes his grip and he hits that shot over and over. He goes back the next day out to the same spot and drops the ball there and hits that shot again. He learns from his mistakes and learns how to overcome them by practicing through them and analyzing honestly what happened not just giving up. This is the debrief that Major Aldridge was talking about, the Thunderbird pilots. The great fighter pilots are separated from poor fighter pilots by their willingness to go through a debrief after every mission, sit down and let each other talk about what went well and what didn't go well. Surgeons do that too, by the way, in their training. We talk about cases. We have conferences where we show complications and discuss things that didn't go well or things that did go well, and we learn from each other. The debrief is how you do that. We need to seek and accept encouragement from other people. You can't be excellent in a silo. I mean, sure you can. You can be a jeweler and sit all by yourself and do something wonderful and beautiful. But you could be better if you had encouragement and help from other people. One thing about that is sometimes we have this excessive amount of humility and we don't want to let other people compliment us or praise us. Jack Nicholson had a a quote in a movie, Don't castrate my compliments. I said that to Lisa one time. She's so humble that she doesn't like people making a fuss over her. If you say, oh, you did a really great job, she's like, oh, no, I just, you know, I was just trying. She doesn't want to accept that really um, high praise because she's so humble. But it's actually better if you will allow yourself to receive praise when you do something well, not in a arrogant way, but because 
recognizing that you did something well helps you build healthier synapses in your brain and you'll start seeing those great shots more often because you'll want to achieve them more often. When you do hit a great shot, it's okay to let yourself know it. And by the way, Lisa hits great shots all the time. And she's learned how to accept compliments because I give her lots of them because she's so excellent. But it should make you want to hit those shots more and more and more often when you allow yourself to be praised for them when you do hit them. Right? Does that make sense? Also, learn how to challenge ideas that over time don't work out. When Tiger Woods goes to the range and he tries a new grip and it doesn't work, he doesn't keep forcing himself to use that thing that doesn't work. He adapts and models and moves on to some new idea if it's not working. You have to be willing to challenge your own erroneous ideas if you want to be excellent. Because sometimes you're going to try something and it's not going to work out. But keep trying. Keep trying new things. And I'm, as a surgeon, I'm, I'm constantly looking for new technologies and new procedures to help myself be a better surgeon, to accomplish the mission of taking better care of my patients and losing less blood and going faster in the OR and having them recover better. I try to learn something new practically every day, reading and pushing myself to learn something new. And that helps me build self-esteem and excellence in my practice and in my life. And it'll do the same thing for you. When you get better, when you try harder, you feel better. And always recognize, just like Apollos, that you have untapped potential. You know, if I'm capable as a 14-year-old kid of hitting that ball that goes 200 and some odd yards and rolls right into the hole, if I'm capable of that, then that means that my muscles and ligaments and bones, even though I'm this pudgy, blonde-headed kid with a cowlick and astigmatism, my muscles and bones and ligaments were capable of doing something that in that particular moment was as good as anybody in the world could have done it. I'm in the operating room and that bone spur comes out. I'm capable of doing something as good as anybody else in the world could have done it. And the fact is, friend, you are too. Far too many people fail to believe in or refuse to recognize the fact that they have great untapped potential. Remember what the Bible says, exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or even imagine is what God has to give you in the things to which he has called you. So I just want to encourage you today that you are capable, my friend, of great things. And I want us to learn how to close that gap between what we're capable of and what we typically produce. This doesn't happen by accident. I've quoted several times Chris Voss, the book Never Split the Difference. He says, you don't rise to the occasion when the pressure's on. When you're under great stress or strain, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your highest level of preparation. So again, that comes through reps, through practice, through analysis, through self-honesty uh, with yourself, through allowing yourself to be mentored and, and helped and instructed and improved by other people. Trevor Aldridge and the Thunderbirds don't become who they are by accident. They don't just jump in the jets and go fly around or they would have an accident, right? They practice, they prepare, they study, they plan, they obsess over the details because that's how you become excellent. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength and you can now, it doesn't mean that you can become an Air Force Thunderbird. It doesn't mean that you'll play the guitar like Tommy Walker or Chet Atkins. It doesn't mean that you'll perform brain surgery like Fukushima or Joe Maroon. But God made you to be you. And in whatever you do, you've got capabilities that you have not fully achieved yet. And your heart knows it. And that's the, that's the base of why I want to talk about this today. Because when you know that you're capable of more and you don't produce it, then you make excuses for yourself and this frustration builds in your heart. 
And that's going to come out somewhere. It comes out through displacement, through false arrogance, through verbally abusing other people because you're trying to push that guilt off of your heart. It comes through numbing behaviors like alcohol or other things that you do to take your mind off the fact that you're not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Because the fact is that when you're called to something and you fail to go for it, it hurts you. It hurts your heart. Look, it's time to start becoming the best in the world at whatever you do, or at least the best version of yourself that you can be. And I think we've fallen a little bit too hard into this idea that, oh, it's okay, at least you tried. That's a good idea, and it's true, and it's great, but it's not a place to strive for. Don't strive for, I just tried. Strive for what Jesus said in Matthew five forty eight: Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the goal, and none of us are going to be perfect. But Jesus says, don't sit on your laurels. Don't just show up. Go for it. Try your best. Try to be the best that you can be. Now, here's a word of caution. Like I said before, when Tiger Woods hits a bad shot, he doesn't give up and break his club and go home and beat himself up and and quit. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't loathe himself and flagellate himself. He goes back to the driving range. Arnold Palmer once said, at least I think it was Arnold Palmer. I can't find this quote, but I'm sure that I read it somewhere. So if you find it, if you know what this quote came from and you can find the source, please send it to me because I want it. But I remember hearing one time that Arnold Palmer said, great golfers are not the ones who hit every shot perfectly. Great golfers are the ones who hit the bad shot better the next time, who recover from the bad shot more perfectly. That's what makes a great golfer. And that's why, that's what makes a great life. That you, not because you hit every shot, not because you do everything perfectly, but because you're constantly striving to improve. If you want to become healthier, feel better, and be happier, you need to change your mind about performance because constantly trying to be better at whatever we do is good for our brains. It's good for our heart. Remember Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not people. Look, I want you to become infinitely happier, to have an abundant life, because that's why Jesus said he came. I came to give you life and to live it, that you may live it abundantly. The world needs you at your best, especially right now. And you don't want to live in that place of frustration and knowing that you're underperforming with the five or two or one talent that God gave you. Brendan Burchard said, it should be common sense that if you really want to make your mark on the world, you have to grow more to give more. And it won't feel easy or natural. Growing never does. That's why they call it growing pains. I was playing my guitar a couple of days ago. Lisa was listening to me play. I was trying to learn some ninja chords that Tommy Walker played on this song called Someday, which is a really cool song. And I tried and tried and tried. There was just one chord. I think it was something like A-flat minor, flat five, some crazy jazz chord like that. And I just could not make my fingers play. I kept at it, and then all of a sudden, boom, I had it. There it was. My fingers had it. And I knew in that moment that not even Tommy Walker or Eddie Van Halen could play that particular chord any better than I did because I had all the notes. I had it. And that's what you have to do, friend. All you have to do is find all the notes. And you get them by reps, by debriefing, by believing in yourself, by letting yourself be mentored, by trying to find the more excellent way. And by having a mind to perform everything you do for the God who gave you those gifts. I'll leave you with this. Ezra 10.4 says, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Hey, friend, we're with you. You've got a task ahead of you. Rise up and get it done. Be strong and do it because we're with you. And let's see what you're capable of. 
And let's start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is listener supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. That's patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron only episodes and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery. Dr. Lee Warren. Substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarnmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.
I wait on the love. 